So my introduction to the two of you is through uh, a familiar acquaintance. Pastor Steve or Steve Rodder is a very, very good friend of mine and my family's. Um, someone who's married my wife and I, has um, really blessed um, both of my, my younger children, my three and my one, has been an instrumental uh, kind of influence over uh, my son Isaiah, who's my nine-year-old. My son Cole, who's 13, has also had uh, periodical interaction with Pastor Steve. So that's how I came to, to hear and know about you guys. And uh, I'm really grateful and humbled that you guys agreed to come over um, and to be able to share your testimony and your story and really talk a little bit about what you're doing. Um, but before we do that, let me thank all of the listeners for joining the Brian Socier podcast. We really appreciate your patronage. Um, one of the things that I'll share with you is that there has been a pretty dramatic uptake in uh, people leaving reviews on iTunes, and that's really phenomenal. Just as an update, we're also on Stitcher, and we utilize SoundCloud uh, as well. So thank you guys for listening from all over the world. Again, we, we appreciate it, and without you, uh, this wouldn't be possible. And we're just grateful for all that you do. Like us on Facebook, uh, join us on Instagram. Everything's the Brian Socier Podcast. And uh, listen closely to what you're going to hear today um, from both Bill and Paul, uh, two gentlemen who are affiliated with an organization called uh, Haven Beat the Street, and just very humbled again and grateful to have them in my home. So uh, without further ado, I welcome Bill Southery and Paul Hulse. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Nice house. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is, uh, this is our, our new home. So this is my wife and I's first home. It's your new, new debt. Yeah, well, that's true, new debt, but uh, min literally minimizing it as much as possible. That's good. Mortgage so. starts with morte, that means death. Yeah, so I so I heard. <laughs> not, not, a, not a great term. Yeah, I know. But, uh, I've gotten rid of one so far, so. Oh, that's good. So, uh, that's good. You're still, still here. You're still, still here, here to tell the story. Not. That's right. Very good. It's a good deal. All right, so uh, Bill and Paul, if you guys wouldn't mind, just kind of share with us where you know, this program, and just so the audience knows who they're listening to, maybe we'll start with you, Bill. Um, where did Haven Beat the Street come from? You know, what's the origin? And, and give us a little bit about your background. Who are you? What's your history? Where'd you grow up? You know, that kind of thing. Well, I'm Bill Southry. I grew up in Epsecan here. I live one block from my mother in my original home where I grew up. Okay. So I'm not a world traveler. My, my Italian experience is Joe John's. Okay. You know, something like that. Served at the Rescue Mission for many years. Started there as a volunteer in 1980. And um, I always had people, care, cared for people in my home even before that. Because there was a habit of my parents to do the same kind of thing. Mm. They would find people and they'd just invite them into the back room in this little two-bedroom house. And family and friends and all were welcome. So as my, that was part of my life growing up. And so it was something that we did naturally, my wife and I. So that's really briefly... Um, I'm a local guy, okay. and uh, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, my father worked at Captain Starnes. Okay. And he was a commercial fisherman, mm. and he worked at the electric company. My mother worked in the local school system as an aide, and uh, so I'm part of the fabric of uh, Atlantic County. Understood. And uh, I like to say that because people, a lot of people came in from out of the county and don't know who the locals are. Even the locals don't know who the locals are. It's a way to keep it in touch. Um, I started at the mission um, when I moved next door to Rex Whiteman, who was the second 
director of the mission. He was a wonderful man, a great servant of God, still serving in um, Raleigh and as a, at a rescue mission there. And he was my teacher, and he um, had a heart open to all. Mm. And it was, um, I, didn't have, I had a heart open to some, but not all. Mm. And I didn't know Christ at the time when I moved next door to him. So he um, would come over and witness to me. And there's another fellow in the community, Bill Warner, you probably know him. Yes, heard of the name, absolutely. He, he, was, uh, he, had, a, he had a group called the Christian Apologetics Project. And there's an interesting part of my life where I was involved with a cult called the Restored Israel of, Restored Israel of Yahweh. Mm. It's an offshoot of Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. And um, he and I had many discussions and debates with uh, he an assistant pastor of, uh, of a green tree was named Bruce Sophia. So they would debate us. And he one day opened the scriptures to me to see who um, the Holy Spirit was. Um, I, we did not believe that Jesus was God. Mm. We didn't believe that the Holy Spirit was anything but an f- active force in the universe, but he was not a person. So it was over a word, one Greek term, alos and heteros. One means another of the exact same kind, or, and the other word means another of a different kind, but similar too. Well, Jesus said, I will send you another comforter, and he will teach you things. Another comforter in the sense of just like myself. That one word made it all the difference. How could Jesus and him be the same? Mm. And then it opened the door for me to understand the triune nature of God. Not that we comprehend it, but God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Opened the way, so my mind was open to that. And as a result, I left the group and, um, and, and I became a follower of Christ in the true sense of the word. Not just the name that was an erroneous name, a different Jesus, a different gospel. And uh, so I started, and so between he and Rex, his next Rex was next door to me. I moved next door to him. Bill was on the other street. Mm. And it came, it came away for me to embrace the faith in, 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 a, in a new way and realize that even the things we were doing with people. Prior to, I had people that lived, I had a one-bedroom apartment in, in Pleasantville when we first got married, my wife Debbie and I. I had eight guys living there with me. She's pregnant, stepping over these bodies. And it was, like, it was, it was more than 300 square feet. Mm. It was pretty interesting, you know. And many of those guys have gone on to do many wonderful things in their life, and many of them have become Christians. Mm. And uh, even when I moved next door to Rex Whiteman, I had a guy who, who his brother was in the cult that I was in. And he, um, uh, when I left the group, um, I went to a Bible study with Bill, and I met this young man named Steve Ray, and he was a student of, he was going to school at ACC, he was going to be a chiropractor, which he is now, and, but he had no place to live. They threw him out because he became a friend of mine. His brother put him out of a place to live, so I moved to a trailer behind my house, and it was the first tiny home in Afseekin. Mm. I lived in, in Crestview Avenue, I had a trailer behind the house, hidden away, Electric and stuff running to it, and this guy lived there for two years. Wow. Took care of my babies when they were first born, and now he's a chiropractor up in Williamstown. He and his wife are both doctors, and making more money than they know what to do with. <laughs> you know, but he's my son, the doctor, you know, and he's a believer also. And uh, So that's kind of an introduction to my, Good. my journey. At the same time, um, at the mission, I was there for 32 years, which is a long haul. And of course, Things happened, and I was asked to leave. But I still wanted to continue on. And at that time, there was a, was a ministry, actually a social service group called Haven, that I had helped 
the woman start 20 years before. She was retiring. She gave it to me. She called me up in December and said, would you like to be, I'm done, I'm retiring, I'm done. I'm through with it. It was for battered women. She said, would you like to take it over? I said, well, Haven's a pretty good name. It's pretty close to heaven. Maybe I'm supposed to do something with it. So I accepted the offer. I went to her house. They had a meeting of the board in December of 2012. Mm. And nominated me. They all resigned. I had to make a new board. And I was a, then the president of Haven. Mm. And uh, that's it was 13 apartments in Lake City and a couple of lots. And then in the interim, I'd been working up in Ocean County. And I'm kind of an advocate for the poor. I had brought a litigation against Ocean City, Ocean County, mm. to make them start helping people. They just they kept turning them into the woods. So as a result of that, I started going back up there, and I run into this guy. And actually, he runs into me, I think. He is recommended by Carol, as a hunger relief agency up there, to um, meet with this young man who's working in the woods with the guys in the tents, Tent City. And that's how we meet. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, let's, yeah, this is a great introduction into Paul. Paul, if you wouldn't mind, um, similar to what we talked about with Bill, and again, this is Paul Hulse, um, just kind of share your background, where you're from, your experience, and then kind of get us up to where we are at the present moment. Sure. I was, uh, I grew up in uh, Ocean County, New Jersey, and uh, I don't know if I'm going to be as fluent as he is. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I was I was basically uh, I wasn't uh, most of my life I grew up in um, just life I didn't know anything I didn't have a connection with God I didn't have a connection with with faith or anything just knew that you had to get up and go to work you know that was basically my life most of my life um, 13 I was uh, introduced to drugs I started out with uh, marijuana it was the first uh, drug that was introduced into my life and um, just followed a path of working and partying uh, life, uh, lifestyle. Um, through that lifestyle, I met my, uh, my wife, uh, Nadine, and uh, things, things started, to, uh, started to develop with her, and um, we became close and uh, moved into my first house with her. And um, Things were looking good. Life was looking good. I had a job. I had a, my own business. And, and uh, I had also a problem at the same time. So I was carrying not only the, uh, the, the workload, but also the lifestyle of, of addiction was following me. And uh, I came to a point in my life, uh, I was about 25, and uh, I needed help. I needed help with lots of different things in my life. Um, you know, so I reached out to my dad. My dad was living in Florida at the time. And I, I called him. I said, Dad, you know, I, I'm, I'm really struggling. I, I really need help. And uh, he says, well, I'll help you, but you have to move to Florida. So I uh, so I moved down to Florida, and uh, um, my wife, um, after living there for a little while, she uh, my my lifestyle didn't change. You know, everywhere you go, you brought you with you. And uh, she said, you know, she, one day she just packed the things at the door and said, uh, you know, I didn't move 1,100 miles to to continue to have uh, you know this kind of rhetoric lifestyle. And uh, she was about to leave, so uh, I went into my garage and. I got down on my knees and I said, you know, if there's a God, if there's really a God, um, I really need help. I need help. And I heard, uh, go to church. And, um, you know, not once but twice. Mm. And um, my wife at the time was working at the Shepherd of the Coast Lutheran Church. 
and uh, I started going to the Lutheran Church. And uh, it wasn't like, boom, all of a sudden, you know, I, I got healed, life changed and all that. But the first step was me walking into the church and uh, not coming from a church background or a church family. Um, it definitely changed the dynamics of, of my thought process. And I just began to dig into the church and, and learn more about who Jesus was. It was such, a, such an overwhelming thing to know somebody had enough grace to forgive me for everything I did wrong in my life. And there was a man that went on a cross and said, you know what, you're forgiven. And, uh, you know, it really, uh, really struck, struck home with me, and I just kept striving for, for this man, Jesus. So I became a youth pastor at the church. I taught Sunday school at the church. Um, I got baptized at the church, and uh, we also had children at the time, too. So I have two, uh, two children. And uh, we got married at that church. And um, my kids were also um, baptized at that church, too. So, um, you know, a lot of things changed in my life when I accepted Jesus into uh, my life, not only for the better for myself, but I could see it start changing my family. And I wanted to know more about who this, this Jesus was. So I started searching other churches, looking for a home, looking for an outlet. And I, every day I was a plumber. And... Um, I used to see the homeless on the, on the side of the street. You know, they would be holding their signs and stuff. So I would get tips, you know, 50 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it was. And I would give them my tip. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I've been blessed with this. I want to bless them. And I started growing a heart to, to help the poor. So I, I ran into this church called Tomoka Christian Church. They had a Wednesday night service. And the pastor's name was uh, Cord Bear. And uh, I sat down and kind of in the middle, you know, and, and he came, he was walking over introducing everybody, you know, to who he was and so forth. And I, he approached me and I said, hey, is it okay if I sit here? And he's like, yeah, why? I said, well, I'm a Lutheran, you know. I didn't know there were, you know, denominational barriers and so forth. So he said, you're a brother, man. And he says, you can sit here, you know. Mm. And, and from that moment, you know, um, me and Cord developed a relationship. And... Um, He's like, you know, he says, what, you know, sit down and have a conversation. So I went down and we had a conversation. And he says, you know, what's, what's on your heart? And I said, well, I like helping the poor. He says, well, I can plug in with uh, this ministry. It's called Daytona Average Center. I said, all right, great. I said, that'd be wonderful. So he, he hooked me up with Pastor Ray Kelly and his wife Susan. And uh, I started helping them with uh, this place called Daytona Average Center. They had uh, served lunch and dinner. Uh, dinner on Thursday nights where people would come in that were on the streets and they would have dinner and a service and um, it just grew from there really um, I really it really involved I just grew into just being around homeless and trying to find out their needs you know and trying to follow what the scripture said you know about the poor you know there's always going to be poor among us in the land you know and I, and I just had the heart too of you know love thy brother as thyself and uh, it kind of just it kind of just grew into part of who I was. So I, with me and a few other guys, uh, approached uh, Cord and said, "You know, we'd like to, we'd like to start a ministry." And he said, "Okay, well, we have a name." And we said, "Yeah, we actually do." Um, Beat the streets is the name of the ministry we mm -hmm. like to call it. So uh, they put us in front of the board and they approved the name of the ministry, and we set out and we started doing Beat the Street Ministries in Daytona Beach, Florida, and. Uh, that's how uh, Beat the Street Ministries uh, evolved. Um, but um, after um, you know getting married in 2010, and um, 
you know, uh, growing with the, with the ministry and so forth like that, um, my wife wanted to come back to New Jersey. And I said, well, I said, I, I need to stay back. I said, you know, I really feel led that I have to learn more. You know, I need to be more equipped. So we sold all everything we owned. As the scripture said, we sold all our property possessions that we had. And she basically took off with the clothes she had on her back and took off with our two children. And I stayed behind and moved to a homeless shelter. And uh, I really wanted to learn uh, the aspects of how it was not only to be poor, but how I can help them better. How can I, how can I help somebody if I don't understand what they're going through if I've never went through it myself. Mm. And um, I had a full-time job. I was still was a plumber, but now I was living as a homeless person. So I was eating with them. I was, I was uh, you know, hanging out. I was getting called derogatory names. I was going through all of the things that they went through to understand how I could be a better equipped to help them. And when I came back in 2011, um, I went through like a grace time because I was having a hard time finding a church and getting plugged into and so forth. So I kind of plugged around and so forth. And uh, I got hurt in 2012. Um, I got into a bad car wreck. So I was kind of like, okay, now what's next? You know, here I am, I have these injuries. I don't know what's going to happen, you know. So um, I went through um, a transitional time and I was, was, I was in touch with Ten City and stuff. But I just felt called to do more than what I was doing, so I just fully got engaged and I started helping these these uh, the people out in the woods. And uh, through that process, I lost two loved ones at the same time. So in 2013, I went through the loss of my brother-in-law. They found him dead in the Red Roof in a heroin overdose, mm. and then my sister died in October from septa, but also from changing from um, she had septa and she had kidney failure. So she also died from uh, drug addiction as well. Mm. She turned to street drugs. So I was faced with these two uh, crucial issues, and my wife could see I was I was faltering. Like I, things were starting to, to collapse around me. She goes, "You need to get in grief share." So I got I met these. Uh, I went into grief share at the Assembly of God Church up in Tom's River, and uh, I met Valerie and Jeff, and uh, they came. They they opened, came. You know, welcomed me with open arms. And, I was going to their grief share group, and he said, you know, you should meet Pastor Paul Guilford, you know, he's, you and him have a, might have a chemistry or connection together. So um, at that time we were talking, and she gave me the thing for Ocean County Hunger Relief. And uh, I went over to Ocean County Hunger Relief, and I told her, I said, these guys are getting moved out of the woods, and they need help with furniture. Can you help us? And she said, yeah. And that's how I, I got the relationship with uh, starting to move people out of the woods from Tent City and how Bill and I kind of met um, was through that process. So to kind of get everybody up to speed. So in 2014 of actually uh, April 16th is when I actually met Bill. Okay. Uh, so it'll be four years actually. Excellent. Very good. Um, so I have a, just, I want to backtrack on your story, Bill, ask you a few questions relative to, um, you know, what you shared with us. And then I'm going to go back to you, Paul, and we'll talk a little bit about your story. I have a few sure. questions for you as well. Okay. Absolutely. Fill in the gaps for the listeners. So, um, for you, Bill, you had mentioned that you were with the, um, you were working out of, in Atlantic city, right? For how many years did you 32, say again? 30, uh, 35 now. Okay. 32. The 35? Uh, 30, at, 32 years at the rescue mission. 32 years at the rescue mission. And you said something happened where you're no longer working there anymore. What was that that happened? Well, as um, 
this is probably the first opportunity I've ever had to really explain it. Um, mm -hmm. I can't cover the litigation, but I can tell you that was the governor issued a decree of um, zero tolerance in Lake City, homeless. What uh, governor? The governor Christie. Okay. Our our um, beloved governor mm -hmm. today, and um, of course I'm going to take issue with that. I'm going to say if we're going to, if it means to help them, zero tolerance. And it says we're going to do something to help them. Mm -hmm. Fine, but we're not going to push them out. Right. They want to. They want me to push them out. I was getting push them out of Atlantic City. Yes, or? push them out and refuse people that would come to the mission from out of county. Okay. And so, I said that's not possible. <clears throat> well, my mission is something different than that. My mission is to accept everyone, and I made it that. This is, the system was designed that way. Um, I made multiple services in the community, in, in the mission. I had a clinic there, psychic services, um, alcohol drug services with the hospital. It was called an FQHC, Federal Qualified Health Clinic, clinic and it was the first of its kind in the country, in a mission. Uh, it gave a, a whole, whole array of services, primary health care, um, and referral to subspecialists. It was great work. I, it was really something, and it took me eight years to convince the hospital to do that. Mm. And that was a result of um, watching guys die on my doorstep who had heart failure. They go down to the ER and they took them, oh, you got an indigestion. They come back and they'd be sitting in my front stoop and I'd find them dead 20 minutes later. I said, this is enough. We have to work at putting something together. These are people. They're not to be discounted as subspecies. We think we kind of have this idea that it's like non-habilis homeless Australopithecus Neanderthal, where, you know, some make up any Latin name for it subspecies of humanity um, because that's how they treated them. The whole society still treats people that way. I don't like the term homeless anymore. I like to, I use the term roofless um, because they need a roof first. Homeless is something that you develop into when you get your life together and it becomes something nurturing and, and healthy. Mm. So they, they have, um, and that's, that's kind of what happened. I, I, the governor got on me. I had Creta get on me. Consumer Reinvestment Development Authority. First person I ever spoke to was a guy named um, Kevin DeSantis. He owned the Rebel. His head committee, the lead committee, was part of the Safe and Clean Committee, or Clean and Safe, depending upon how what they were calling it at the time. And he called me to a meeting with George Lynn and um, uh, Don Parker, who was vice president of the hospital systems. And he brought me in and said, uh, to the meeting, and he said to me, pack your bags, Mr. Southery. I said, I'm not packing my bags. What are you talking about? I, I, mean, I, was, I was in the door five minutes. And it was, I said, that's pretty curt. I said, I've been here a lot of years helping these people. He says, I'm building a resort, blah, 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 blah. His, his resort is empty. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, that, was, and that, was a, that was an immediate clash. I mean, it was like instantaneous. Mm. And um, I was trying to be nice to him. He was, he was just, just large and looming, and he was just like, this is the way it's going to have to be. I'm making something nice, and you've got to go. So I made suggestions about going to Ancora. I approached the state about moving this facility. I didn't have any problems with that, but they weren't really serious. They were just, they were just making all the problems of Atlantic City the homeless problem, which they probably will do again in some cycle, because it's not the homeless that are the issues. It's the fact that there's, um, it's economic. There's people that are leaving the area because they can't afford their homes now, mm -hmm. moving to other areas, so they won't become homeless. 
Uh, and a lot of the people that we deal with in, in the street are people that have deficiencies. They have psych psychotic issues. They have drug and alcohol issues. They have employment issues. They have, have no support issues. Nobody's around them to help them. Mm. So it takes a lot to put a person's life back together when they're down and out. Their solution was just push them out. Um, but they haven't pushed them out. Ultimately, it results in, I found out later that um, some of the board had met with um, attache of the governors. And they were talking about me. And they, and they wanted to try to, and I think that in part was part of the result of the push. Mm. Shoved me out because I would not, I, would, I agreed to everything that they wanted to do. I gave them more suggestions, created more program than they ever had in the community. And um, that wasn't enough. They wanted it out. But you wish it today? It's still there, thank God. Still running. I still support it. I want it to run and do well. And I want it to, to embrace the people in a better way. Because they have, they have succumbed to some of the requests, like don't take anybody from out of town. If you end up there and you're from another community, they can send them back, but if they're not getting help there, and they're getting help here, where are they getting help from? So... I'm, a, I'm part of what's called the New Jersey Coalition for Ending Homelessness. There's a lawyer up, up north named Jeff Wild who started a, a coalition, took a million dollars of his own money and began this effort to try to bring a solution and to combat legislation that's negative and regulations that are negative. I mean, there's so, there's so many more people out there that are homeless. Even they, they, and they fudge in their counts now. You know, we used to have legitimate databases that we could count everybody. Um, the Hemis is a. I saw. I started. I had a computer program we developed since 1987, a database. I had thousands, probably 35,000 people in log, in entry over those 10 years. They were all homeless people. All homeless people. I mean, I had information that nobody else had in the state. I sent it to the state. They knew what to do with it. We created. It was. On, it was you ever hear K-Pro 10? Mm -mm. CPM systems. You're a computer guy. I mean, you look it up. It's like. It was the first portable computer, mm -hmm. and it was um, it was ten, was it ten k? Well, we were overwhelmed. We could we could put information and data about people. Mm. It was actually created by a homeless guy that was with me. Oh wow! Guy fell out at NAFAC. He was um, he's looking at, at this box. I'm saying, how about I don't know how to program? I knew RPG and assembler from school, but that's, that was antiquated. Cobalt, a little bit of cobalt. I wasn't going to do it. So this guy Scotty, he comes out of has a nervous breakdown and falls out of his life. Comes to the mission and he says, he's sitting there all catatonic. He's like, I can do that if you want me to do that for you. So we sit down for six weeks and we put the program together. I gave him the pieces I wanted, the fields I wanted, and he put it together. Mm. And we eventually migrated into what's called the heart program, which is now being sold um, as a HIMIS, a Human Services Management Information System. And the state has one of these. But nobody's really inputting the data in a way that makes it relevant so you can identify the needs and say, what are we missing? Um, what would make it relevant? What, the computer program? Mm -hmm. They use it. Well, it's, just, it's, just, it's a stack box. It's like full of index cards, all the data in it. But nothing's being extrapolated. Nothing's being interpreted. If you had, if you had the ability to utilize that or to take the people that are in power to utilize it, what would you have them do? Um, how would they have the most effective use from that program? Oh, if you would identify the lack of, lack of the needs of services, people that need, 
You have gaps in systems for the first thing. Um, I mean, I, I, can, I can do it because of having done it already with my present system, the system that I had. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew that we needed medical, so I got the medical kind of put in there. We need psych services more, uh, intensive psych services. People get seen immediately, not not when they're. We created a crisis diversion unit, which is, is when you go to a psych unit, they balance, if you're not sick enough, you're not acting out enough. They street them. They just put them back in the street. Mm. That doesn't help. Then they continue to decompensate. Then they do something violent in the community, and they go, "Oh, we got these homeless, mentally ill people." I said, "Well, he was already there three times before, and they streeted him." So we made a crisis diversion unit. We go right into a divert. We divert them into the building, and we keep them, and we watch them, and we had other workers from other other systems, uh, mental health agencies, to come in and confront them and work with them and engage them. It's all gone now. You know, um, transportation back to where they came from. Well, when I got the contract from the, from the county and Creta, they said you can send them 350 miles. I said, 350 miles? It's a circumference. I said, 175 in the ocean. It's not enough. We need 1,000, 1,500 square miles across country. I sent people at times back to China, mm. you know, from the mission. And I used the Buddhists to do it. They would help me do it because my own agency in this country wouldn't help me. So, in, and so you look at that, you, you assess where people come from, you know how far you got to travel. Mm. And then, uh, so, it was a, so that's, that's what you do with the data, is you identify what's there. And you say, well, this would be nice. We need another detox somewhere in the, in, the, in the community to work with the people. There's no detoxes now. At one time, there were four detoxes. Why? Why are there no more? Because it's too expensive to operate. Yeah. That's what they say. It's, it's, they, 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 um, I said, that's a, I'm going to drink here. When you say they, you're referring to the government. Right? Referring to the government, local, mm-hmm. and, and communities. Um, but they, you notice the government has a big push now for, for, for drugs. Why didn't have that push last year or the year before mm-hmm. or the year before that? The need's always been there. Mm-hmm. And what is he really doing about it? If you dial the number, it's a hotline to nowhere. <laughs> you can't get any help. So you have to know people to hook, get people hooked in. Um, the expenses, the cost of services, why are they so costly? I mean, I mean, any job, we have to look at valuation. Even economically, you have to do some changes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, it's like um, this laptop, how much does it cost? Uh, it's like a grand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why does it cost a grand? Because there's a supply and demand. That's it. Supply and demand. It could cost a lot less than a grand. Right. It costs a lot less than a grand. It does. And people watch the um, those sharks. They always talk about valuation. I like. I said, what do you mean? You know, and and margins. I said, what the heck is a margin? And the guy goes. And it's just an interesting margin. He says, I, I created this little device for 75 cents. I sell it for 14.95. That's a margin. That's not a margin. That's a ripoff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And we shouldn't do that to people and to right. each other. We should, we should help each other in some way. I mean, this house costs what it cost, but it didn't have to cost that much. We're, we're working on some projects now that we've distilled down from a little database that we redeveloped mm-hmm. with another fellow that was homeless at one point. And um, and we see smaller homes, 
less expensive. Yes. Puts people in a place of advantage. It helps them. So we can be, we can build a house for fifteen thousand dollars. Like a tiny home. Like a tiny home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We only have one in in reserve. It's a small one. It's like one hundred eighty square feet. Mm -hmm. We didn't gut. We just gutted it. It's just a shell. Mm -hmm. um, we put that in place. Everybody can afford a house for fifteen twenty thousand dollars. Right. And and you give them taxes. They're now they're participating in the community. They are um, part of the fabric of society. In a real way, they own something. Mm. And it didn't have to cost. And, and, and it's funny, the house I grew up in my Absecon was a tiny home. Mm. <coughs> Compared to this house, it's a, it's a little box. It has mm. two bedrooms. And my dad put a, a, like a, a 900 square foot addition on it. It became a super home. You know, it was like, well, we got all this space. You know, we, but, we, it was, but we didn't need a lot of space. Yeah. Um, that was, you know, and then the house is across the street, got, and then the, the, your house is, is a huge house compared to the house I grew up in. Mm. But you know what? The house I grew up in was a nice little house. Yeah. Still there, and it was more intimate. Yeah. We do, when we got a larger home, I moved to, a, I was still in the first home I bought in Epstein. It's on Shady Lane. It's a three bedroom square box. I miss that home. I have a little, I have, I have now moved into upper, uh, the upscale residencies of Epsecon from 1975, which are much bigger than the other ones, but much smaller than this. Mm. And I find um, I have all these rooms now, but I'm only in one at a time. And everybody was spread out, but in the little house, we had one television. Nobody had televisions in their own rooms. So we'd be together as a family. And that's something that's missed too. I mean, you, you lost any structures. Yeah. So, I think go ahead. I think you bring up a good point though. I think that you know when you really think about the challenges that we face as a society, a lot of it is lost in the idea of the technology. You know, we make these major advancements that are supposed to make our lives more efficient mm -hmm. and bring us closer together and by design I, they're they're separating us and and bringing us further apart. And, uh, this, is a, this is a great communi communication is the highest of the, this is communication Weak or something, and going, really? Right. Well, I'm communicating with you, but who am I else going to communicate with? What are we talking about? Right. It's amazing. It's how we waste the things that God gives us. I mean, technology is because we're creative. Right. We're godlike. We we unlocking the things that God's given us. And going, man, look at what I can do with this. I mean, some Israeli guy engineers he's encoding molecules. When I first was with IBM 360, it was as big as this room I did my program at ACCC. I still couldn't get one guy paid. I had five pay, 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 please, employees to be pay, payroll. I got a C plus because I couldn't get that one guy paid. Mm. I couldn't figure out the correction, you know. Now it's like so way over my head. It's like unbelievable. But, but still people are learning. They are learning. And gaining. In them. And we should use this technology for the benefit of people. Yeah, I and agree. I, it's amazing. It's a, it's a, so I just think that... Um, the, the, the data is important, and it's got to be correct data. Understood. It can't be fudged data. Understood. But that's what happened at the mission with me. I got into, back at, was, um, that there's all these innuendos that were made about me, but mostly it was because I stood up for the poor, and, um, and I will always stand up for them. Understood. I will, I will wage war um, in a proper way. Yes. On my knees. From, and a spiritual, spiritual and, work. And nice noise. 
and sometimes irritating noise. <laughs> so. so, so Paul, sure. Uh, let me ask you, uh, just kind of referencing what you had shared earlier when you were in the woods. First of all, where in the woods? How did you get into the woods? And are there a lot of homeless people there? What, what is the what is the commonality between you being out in the woods and finding all these people that need a place to live, or or what's the story behind that? Well, in, in Ocean County, um, you know they don't have a rescue mission or a true shelter system. So, a lot of the times, what people find is is uh, they revert if they can't get hotel placement, they revert back to tent living. And what we're finding is once they disbanded the Lakewood Tent City project. Uh, that was ran by Steve Brigham, um, it basically just scattered the sites throughout Ocean County. So now you have small cells throughout Ocean County of people, a person living here, a few living together here, um, and it took away from where you had a place where you know you could go and work with people at one location. Now you have these multiple locations that are being developed and it makes it makes it very very difficult because especially if they don't have the cell phones they can't get their um, their uh, pre their prepaid phones the New Jersey phones or whatever they're called um, people have different Obama names phones. oh Obama phones no, that's Trump right phones. they were no, no, Trump, phones Trump phones now. are nice droids yeah. <laughs> yeah well whatever you want to call them but that's that's how they communicate with a lot of people so they can they can get um, jobs and so forth I mean even as of today we have guys that we're working with that are living in the woods have it have jobs but don't have enough work to keep themselves out of the woods so here you already have someone that's trying to do something but doesn't have enough to keep it to where he can get out of that situation and that's what we find a lot of um especially in ocean county it's down here even in Atlanta county um we've come across where people are living in tents and and uh, we try to work with them and see what we can do to try to get them out of that situation as well and it's a it's a very um you know, when when I first came back from Florida and and saw people living in tents in the woods like they were, I was like, this is like pilgrims. I, I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. You know, I mean, down in Florida, you know, people lived on the park bench. They stayed on the street. They they would stay in empty lots or abandoned houses. They didn't really have tent living um, because it's, you know, the housing in, in the wooded areas. You definitely don't want to live in a tent in the woods in Florida. Because they got ticks and spiders and alligators and you don't know what's going to go in your tent mm -hmm. in Florida compared to up here. So, um, you know, yeah, you deal with the bugs and the climate up here, but just to see that kind of living was was very very different for me. And off the bat, I was just like, okay, what do I got to do to help these people? They were in teepees at one point. You know, they made teepees so like American Indians. Gotcha. And um, you know, it's it's um it's not to deride tents because. Every civilization that exists was founded by a bunch of homeless guys dwelling in tents. That's right. And oh, every, that's true. You can't, so so it can, something can be said for it. But at a point in time, you become more civilized at some point. You put the tent in this lo local space and you work together. Interesting, in the tent city, I remember when I first went there, um, there, were, there was one guy, I walked in, and they were arguing about his tent being on, next to another guy's property. Thirty there was zoning issues in a tent city. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And then they're talking about waste removal, and they're going, who's the, who's the, I said, who's the ACOA here, guys? They were like, you know, carting a, a pile, that big pile of garbage there. They're like, how do we get rid of this stuff? Well, it was like, it was like, yeah, it was like the beginnings of another community right. with all the issues. And uh, so, it, so they definitely need some help organizing it. 
and, and make it into a city. Some, that's, what it was, that's what it was called, Tent City. Did people have families and stuff? Were they living off the land? Was that kind of the concept? Or? They lived off the land. They didn't really grow. They had some chickens, but they didn't really grow food or anything. They okay. Were, they were mostly, you know, they were still um, doing the normal thing of going to restaurants and food banks. And that kind so of they have jobs. At some of them do, or they're collecting some, Social Security right. to some degree, or something like that. Yeah, there's many people that have subsidies. There's two two Mercedes Benzes there, so. Oh, man. They were, it was pretty clever, you know. So, so there were some people that obviously have had work or had worked. I, I couldn't determine what was going on with them. I just saw the Benzes there, and they were a late model, but I drive I drive $3,000 Mercedes-Benz. So okay. I get them in Dittmeyer's for cheap. And I drive people around them so you can drive them around in dignity. Nice vehicle. They, they don't think it's a dingy old ratty van. They're trying to make it look nice. Gotcha. So, but, but beyond that, um, there's the, um, when he was up there, he was solely handling about 60 guys by himself, trying to get them moved out. Mm. And I wandered into the, um, Carol Latif, mm-hmm. who was hunger relief. She um, introduced me to him. And uh, actually, he was, she, he, I was supposed to meet him, and I was three hours late. Mm. I always run late. I run on chirotic time, not chronological time. Yeah, you did pretty good today, though. That's because he was with me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but it was, um, the, the goal was to, to meet him and to see what he, how his needs were. And he didn't have much either. He was putting his life together at the same time. He's in there digging out these guys and yanking them around and using his real strength to carry stuff out of, out of the woods and stuff. So he asked me if I could get a vehicle. So I went down into a local agency down here. I asked the woman if I could borrow a vehicle. Sure. I showed up with a vehicle, and from that point on, he said, well, this guy can do something. And, uh, and so we just started working together. Awesome. And then we combined. At one point, I combined, we changed the name in last year to Haven Beat the Street, Inc. So we can merge the two visions. Okay. And uh, I'd like, like to say Haven is one letter away from heaven. So it's a safe harbor for you to start your life here. And move on. We're trying to develop housing. It's called not affordable housing. Housing you can afford. Okay. And um, it's hard for people to get concept to get the concept because um, you know, landlords are notoriously the bad guy. Was was it a Borson, Natasha, Snotty Whiplash? And when I was a kid, they were characters that were like, "You must pay the rent. I'm not going to pay the rent. You must pay the rent." And um, well, they do have to pay the rent. But if you put it in a, in a level where they can afford it easier, it makes it better for them and more likely that they'll pay the rent. Because a lot of renters have the habit of not paying rent. They just don't want to pay rent. They think it's, it's not their place. Why should I have to pay? They get it too. It kind of gets inculcated into them. So you say, hey guys, you know, you, you, we're not the bad rent, rent landlords, we're the helpers. So pay the rent. And they have, you know, they have a hard time like, even digesting that in our setting. Because it's like, um, been so many, they've been thrown out of places so many times, no big deal. Do you think part of it starts in our education systems? You know, we talk about schools um, as a whole. Mm. Oftentimes, I, I remember back when I was in, you know, grade school, going into high school, and, and the very little bit that we learned about finances revolved around, like, writing a checkout. And that was just, like, how to write the checkout, who to write it out to, and how to actually put the dollar amount down on a piece of paper. How to money in the bank. You know, but like people don't really know how to how to make money, how to keep money, 
they're not really familiar with the process. Do you guys feel like that would, you know, help the cause? It definitely would help. Yeah, I think I think so. I think if, um, you know, some people that if you gave, if they were given an opportunity for financial planning, you know, and okay. understanding why they were doing financial planning, um, would be helpful to the to the to the individuals because a lot of times it's, you see, um, even with some of the people that we do, we help that you know they they'll they'll buy something and and then say I got no money but they just bought something they actually didn't even need and you're looking at them and saying well well you really shouldn't have gotten that you should have really done this and they they, they don't grasp it well yeah I needed it but not really you didn't need that you needed it but not that right. you know you you really needed this I think, I think the bigger part is how to get the money in the bank. Right. I mean, I am. I'm on disability now. I make twenty four thousand a year now. Mm -hmm. Because my my my. So I went from a hundred thousand to twenty four. Mm. It's a big cut. Yeah. So I'm saying I'm looking. How do I do what I did before? I used to. I I, I tend to. I, I I use a lot of my money to help people. And um, so I mean, it's, it's not to brag. This is this a fact. I go to my tax guy and I said, I took sixteen thousand dollars of my income and put it into the place to help people. He goes, I don't know if I want to report that because that's like too much. My wife makes a good income. She's a nurse. She's a church is a doctor. She's a nurse um, educator, mm -hmm. and um, uh, but it's still not the kind of income we had. We had double the income, more than that. But so. What I'm saying is that um, I, I will take the, the opportunity to use my money that way as opposed to use it for stuff. Right, I, you're not buying material things, you're using it to help people I'll that help are in people. need. And when I buy stuff, I buy, I got this phone the other day from a guy. I was going to throw it away, it was in a box, smashing computers up the cobweb, the cobweb corner. Mm -hmm. I was going nuts, he said, he's smashing all the computer parts, I said, stop that. He says... It's worth valuable. You use it. I promise them I'd destroy the hard drives. It's a hard drive. Don't throw out the you know, sticks. To pull those out. There's you know, a difference between ROM and RAM. I'm trying to. They see a box of these little phones. Yeah. You know these phones. They're yeah. With i5. And I go, what are you doing with these? I don't know. What do you want for it? 15 bucks. I'll give you 20. But I know it's worth more than that. Yeah, definitely. So, but I got one now. So I have two of them. I use it for filming and discussing and taking pictures, and, and uh, I don't even really light it up anymore. I have my other one, uh, the bigger that I actually paid for, so mm. that we can stimulate the economy. And but it's a, uh, it's about how to do it cheaply, how to find things less expensive. I bought 25 paintings yesterday. I don't know, it's 45 paintings. I notice you have artwork here, and I like art and mm. stuff. I have a thing I want to do as a fundraiser called Homeless Art. It, it, Art's not art until it's displayed. Right. This is piled in a thrift store. Beautiful artwork. Stuff that I think has got good presence. And it's kind of like humanity. If you don't have a place to display a human being, here's the image and uh, likeness of God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're, they're just like a piece of art thrown away in a trash can sticking over there. Okay. And so I want to do a thing where people can see good art, they can purchase if they like, and goes to help the homeless that are. Also, not hanging in, not in housed and roofless. So, I think that's a great idea. So, so it'd be so nice so to have like an entry level fee too, where people that would be coming in would actually be able to pay and know that that dollar amount was going to go towards helping the homeless. Exactly. Maybe like out of Atlantic City or something like that. Well, that's what we're hoping to do. I, and I'm, I go around and I check, I find all kinds of stuff. 
I, I'm a junker for Jesus, you know. Not, but taking stuff that was good, valuable stuff. People paid money for that stuff at one right. time. Probably overpaid it at the time. But now it can be displayed and reconnected to a different kind of ideology and thought. I agree. You know, so. so let's talk a little bit about your guys' organization. Um, you know, what exactly are you doing? What's the day-to-day look like? What's the overall goal? Um, where do you go? Let's talk about that a bit. Well, today is... Um, today we start with you. I have um, some visits I have to make. At the, the Rex Motel, there's a family that um, has enough food for the kids. And a small toddler. They need diapers and stuff. So I'm going to go and cash some money in the... I have that in quarters and dimes, and so I can take care of business. Because we're a little short on funds right now. Mm-hmm. We just recently got a gift of a $10,000 grant mm. that we'll be able to use for a while. That'll help us to do these kinds of things. We do everything from rental assistance to utility assistance to um, uh, we buy people cars if they need for work. We um, repair cars for people who need them for work. We... Um, buy parts for cars that they need them for work. For instance, like, there was a guy we were driving around up there, and the guy, we met him, I guess, one time before he was living in a hotel up there, the guy we bought the fuel pump for. Right. He calls out of the blue, he says, man, he says, this is awful. He says, I can't get my car going because I need a fuel pump. Mm. <laughs> it was $275. Mm. And then the installation would have been more. So what we did is we went and bought it, and he installed it himself. Get back on the road, back to work. This, the next tragedy we hear from his son, if they find him dead, overdosed. That was another whole deal, working with him through that, his wife and kids. And, and um, we put people in hotels overnights. And up to, I keep the person up to a month. I have a woman in a motel right now in, in Galloway here who was um, living in the um, storage sheds of, um, of the local um, provider of... Uh, it was a climate control thing, and, mm-hmm. and she goes to school, ACCC, mm. and they they denied her her benefits because she's going to school. Wow! So it was it's like uh, so we're wrestling with that. We go, we advocate for people in the in the court systems, and we provide housing in any way we can with our apartments, and um, virtually, if somebody has a need to supplement something to help keep them under roof, we'll do it. Mm. As long as we have the, our motto is we're going to do something. May not be the very thing. How do you guys select who you're going to work with, and like yeah. how do you figure out who the people are that are in the most need, and what does that whole process look we're, like? We don't have a process. They just call us. Really? We identify the need. We you see it, you know. When they're sleeping behind Denny's, it's pretty evident they need help. Yeah. Um, if it's food, you can't you can't err in getting them food. Mm-hmm. I love this dollar store. It's not the best food, but it's great. It's, it's economic. I get 25 items of protein for 25 bucks. Mm. Uh, in the other, other markets, it's much more money. Um, food bank, we have some money on account there. And, uh, but it's, a, it's, just, it's just, we just identified it. You can tell pretty readily if there's issues that are fraudulent, but I would rather, my, my, always my motto was error, mercy and grace than judgment. Do you guys work hand in hand with the churches at all? Are you partnered with any of the churches? When the churches call for help, we help them. Okay. Right. Yeah. So they reach out to you? 
Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and then, and we're just beginning to reach out to them for support. Okay. Because we, we we try to take nine percent is for overhead. And um, and overhead is um, just one other person. He's not overhead though. He's direct service. Got it. So it's like, um, and that's how we do it. I don't take any. I don't take any income from. Okay. Paul, how how have you been impacted by this partnership, and you know how has it changed you over the course of time that you've kind of been working with Bill, and kind of what you've experienced and seen and been able to do and participate in? Well, I think working with Bill is uh, he's uh, he's definitely um, he challenges me in ways that I need to be challenged so I can become better at what I'm doing. And that's one of the things that I'm very grateful for, that, uh, you know, it's hard to find people that I make him crazy. That, that carry the same compassion, you know, to, uh, to, to help the poor. You know, you got to have the right, right uh, uh, compatibility and patience for one another. And, and uh, that's one of the things that Bill and I have for each other is, is, is uh, you know, we're, it's like iron sharpens iron. Mm. You know, and he, he sharpens me. And I sharpen him, and um, you know he's teaching me a lot, especially when we get into the social service areas. I mean, we have a great relationship in Ocean County that's developed over the years with Ocean County Social Service because of his mentorship to show me how to to, to develop relationships with uh, uh, that he has down here in Atlantic County with some of the people that he's he works with in, in social service here. So um, he's helped out tremendously in that area. And then even with the churches, I mean, we have, in Ocean County, we have two hospitality centers where people can come in and, and get help and hang out or go to sleep, take a nap. I mean, being there is no rescue mission, so we, we've created and designed uh, together a wonderful program up in Ocean County uh, with two churches, Assembly of God in uh, Tom's River and Alive Again Alliance Church in Tom's River, and uh, running them centers through the winter months this year. It just started right away, and... Uh, we had them up and running by January, and we helped we over. Get, we didn't get shut down. Yeah, we didn't get shut down, and we had That's over. The authorities. Yeah, yep, we helped over 45 people um, in those those a uh, little over two months, and we're able to, in Ocean County, you know, uh, with uh, temporary shelter, letting helping them keep their home, um, getting someone to um, another location, another county. So um, it really made us versatile, and it, and the church uh, supported us as well. So we were we were fortunate enough to get a, a small grant from uh, Dressed and Blessed Thrift Store, which is part of the First Assembly of God for $1,200, which, which helped out tremendously on what we were doing up there. So, um, you know, it really, really worked out really well, and we're going to be opening up that uh, again in June. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking that um, being that we have a lot going on in Atlanta County right now that Bill and I are working on uh, with clients, plus the, uh, the building itself, we're, uh, we're revamping our program um, at our building in Atlantic City. Uh, to make it um, uh, more structurally sound and uh, and try to make it a, a healthier living environment for all that come in and uh, want to keep the same vision that we've had with uh, making it uh, housing you can afford versus affordable housing and um, we definitely want to keep that vision um, alive um, at that center as well. If people are listening and they want to um, help, you know, this is on their mind, this is on their heart, they're, they're identifying with what the two of you are sharing today. What's the best, what's some of the best things that they can do to kind of help this process? There's there's um, multiple ways to get involved with our organization. Don't um, say prayer first, though. 
Don't say don't say prayer first. Well, you can we're, go to. We're, we're always kind of like, as a development guy, I'm a, I, I looked at. It, we always say pray for us. Mm -hmm. I'm jumping in on here because, <laughs> well, you, that's understood. We should be praying for each other. Mm -hmm. But Jesus says, if you pray, you don't do anything with your prayers. Uh, you know, be well and be filled. But you don't give them any food, guess what? <laughs> They're still hungry. And I would encourage people to take a look at their assets and use them for the kingdom of God and send something to us. In Monica, Monica asked for a lot of money. Too much money would ruin us. But, I mean, there's a, there's a rescue mission in this state has $9 million in the bank. It's not Atlantic City. He imports his homeless from the city into the community of, of um, Mendemaria. I mean, it's like the wealthiest community in, in the state. They have, they have no need for homeless people in their community at all. And he's a $9 million in the bank. And he would ask him for, I asked him, would you assist us, help us with something? No. <laughs> Your brother. Would, would, you know, we're brothers in, in the Lord here. When I raised money at the mission, I had a six and a half million dollar budget. I would share the money with other agencies, people that needed help. Because that's what we're supposed to do. But most of the time it's like ours. So I would just tell them to loosen up a little bit. Um, Christ is laying down his life today on the cross in time. Chaotic time. It's like endless time. He's ever laying his life down for humanity, giving the greatest gift he can give. And we're so tight-fisted with the little things that we seem to hang on to. Um, and I'm not excluding myself. I have to check myself every day. So give to help us, to help others. That's what it's really about. It's not to help me. I don't want to see a dime of it. But it's going to help the people that we serve. Okay. So now go ahead. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then pray, and also pray. Yeah, prayer, pray is good too, absolutely. A, a, um, you know, they can, people can go to HavenStreets.org. They can learn a little bit more about the organization itself. There's some videos on there uh, talking about uh, some of the, the new projects we have going on. Um, we also have a big project that's kind of towards the end of it. We're in phase two. Um, uh, when, when we had the hospitality center going, a gentleman named Larry Hecker came into our project and uh, became homeless because his house became inhabitable. And uninhabitable. Unhabitable, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Wrong word. Um, but he came into one of the, uh, the centers, and he met Bill, and Bill and uh, Larry went over to his home, and when Bill came back, he said, Paul, we got to do something. And uh, we started out that project about six weeks ago now, and uh, we're falling into the seventh week, and we're in phase two of this project, and we're looking for people that have um, talents, talents as far as carpentry work or uh, painting or uh, cleaning, um, you know, those kinds of things because we're in that phase now where we need the house to be cleaned up like a, like a, like a I would say a woman's touch mm -hmm. or, or someone that's really good at cleaning, um, not to sound biased. Um, but that's kind of what we're, what the mm -hmm. avenue would be. And then as far as that uh, Haven building, we're going to have some volunteer work available as well with cleanups and so forth with uh, some of the apartments and that we're uh, trying to get ready for new people to come into. So It's an incredible story. Um, it really is. He was the solicitor for the area. And they put him out and told him, sleep in your car. You can't stay in your house. This is, a, this is the magistrates of the city. Instead of helping him, 
You put it, it's just you can name this house for the outside, not even the inside. And they put him in the street. Mm. As this guy was a lawyer that um, was injured and older, 76? 76, yeah. Yeah, and here they're like, a neighbor complains and he's in the, he's in the street. And he's, he has no fight left in him. He's not a fighter. He's not a, he's not a practicing attorney anymore. That's, that's incredible. Be like if you come to this street here, uh, somebody can look at the street and go, this is an awful street. They got wilderness work down the end and blah, blah, blah. Well, how you look at it. You know, it's the best he could do to keep his place um, where he could walk in it because he's injured, bad back, sick. And they, and they condemn his place and put him out. It's, it's appalling. We have such a society that's become so rigid about punishing each other. I still can't get why we pay people to write us tickets. Does it make sense? I think in, in, in Lake City, it's $57 now. It was 30 If you don't use the meter, it's like nutty. And you can't feed a meter. I can't help you. I was in Princeton. I fed some meters for some people that were running out. The officer came up to me and said, don't feed those meters. They count on the revenue so they can punish the people. I said, stop that. Give me a ticket if I did another meter. <laughs> I think it's nutty. And these are, many of these people are believing people, Christian people who make these jurisdictions and make these laws. I said, stop it, guys. We're not, we have to eat each other's flesh and drink our blood. That's Jesus' job. We take that in a spiritual way. You want to literally want to get it. It's bad. You're hurting people. You work in Lake City. My gosh, there's, I went on an outreach with the police officers. <laughs> um, they forgot to put my, there was 20 cars there. My car was there. They forgot to put my license plate in there. And they all know what it's all about. I started at 6 in the morning. I get back my cars too. $200. <laughs> and I said, you guys, you know, it took another police officer to go down there and yell at them at the tow yard for two hours to get my car out. Wow. So, say, so I would say, as people of faith, pray for a kinder general, general, general soul in each of us. So we think about each other in, in ways that are meaningful. When I meet you now, you're part of my life. I'm going to know you and see you. I'm going to say hi to you. And if you're in a jam, I'm going to make sure you get out of a jam. I'm going to try what I can do. You know, because that's what we're supposed to be doing. It's not, how can I suck his blood? How can I get more money out of him? How can I do this or that? It's, it's just horrible. The society's become so um, anti-Christian. Yeah. And then we call ourselves a Judeo-Christian nation. Well, I think we've moved into an era where it's all about <clears throat> the self and, you know, people are so fixated on what the celebrities are doing and they've become their idols now that they don't really have uh, Christ or, or God or anything for that matter to yeah. be able to, to model their life after and it's not what they're concerned with. It's also, in the church, is Jesus for me. It's not Jesus for the world. Right. So it's like, um, you know, Jesus did this for me. Did that. You hear it's all about self-centeredness. It's not about, I was praying for Christ that something would happen for this person. Look right. at what happened. It's all backwards. Yeah, it's no longer community-based. Right. But I, I feel like you guys are, you know, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong based on what I'm hearing and how I'm interpreting it, but I feel like you guys are in some way almost promoting, like with the tiny homes, moving back into that communal 
uh, based living. And I've, I've always felt like that was the answer. Communal based living attached to some form of self-governing, you know, is one of the best ways for us to live because it allows us to take the gifts that each of us has and kind of put them, pull them together so that way we can all, you know, do what we love and then be able to take care of one another. And then you would never have anyone left out. You know, I think that's the problem with society is that we've created such rigidity as it relates to what people can do with their lives. Um, And there is so much greed in the world today. And, you know, people are fighting for their next extra millions and millions of dollars, which they'll never spend and they'll never use. Um, And when they do spend it, it's on these lavish things that really don't make any sense. You know, I will share this with you guys. When I started the podcast, and one of the things I told my wife, we're going back almost two years now, about a year and a half. I said, you know, we have these beautiful children. We have all boys. And I, I just can't look at myself and call myself a good father um, when I look at this world and I see how much is, is going on in it. And to know that there is a billion people right now that are going without food. That's right. One billion. Not... 100, not 1,000, not even 1 million, but 1 billion people. Are living marginally uh, malnourished. How can I I not do something to create a better world for my children to grow up in and to be an example for them so that way as they get older, they can put things in perspective for what is truly most important in life. Um, and, And so that's where this derived from. So... The work that you guys are doing is very near and dear to my heart and something that, you know, I, I, um, it's relatable in the sense of anybody can be homeless or roofless at any time. You can't just assume that it's never going to happen for you. And economically in the United States, we're in a worse place where more people are probably going to be roofless than not. And yet people still are not... Because they're saying, oh, it's not going to happen to me, or I have a roof over my head, they're, they're sadly misled. Yeah, you're right. You know, we need what you gentlemen do more now than we probably ever have. Well, I hope and pray that my prayers that we could become a, a, a movement in the society and in the, and in the uh, counterculture of the kingdom of God and say, we can, we can do things. We can do things. What do you, what do you mean? What can I do? People say, I need to, uh, when I'm led of the Spirit, I said, it's pretty, he says pretty clearly what he says to do. Um, love each other. And love is only something you demonstrate. You can't just say, oh, I love you, brother, and then, you know, leave you in the cold. Um, he's about a hand up, a hand out. He's about a um, hand overhead for raising him. And it's all about hands, feet, and behinds and bellies. It's all, it's a human being, you know. It's a, we have to really um, take this thing to heart. It's real stuff. We kind of we, we live. Um, I don't know. I'm 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 on the downslide. You know, I'm 62, um, and um, I still see how much I can still do. And why not? We get people to do it together. That's right. And and, and we're all about we're all about fantasy. You know, it's like I, I like Xbox. I see you have a. Yes. Yeah, my kids. Yep. Well, yeah, it's been great for me for my, for my Parkinson's. Okay. It's been wonderful. I mean, I, because I can 
play tanks at two in the morning and I can I'm awake all the time. I'm getting pretty good, you know. And I have pretty good dexterity and and uh, I just have to be I you know I have to be less cheap. I have to buy one good tank. I need uh, one that can withstand the other guys because gotcha. those guys from Europe are rough. Gotcha. But beyond that though, it's um it's a, it's a great communication. I'm talking I'm on there I'm talking to guys from other teams. Right. From other countries. I, I said, This is kinda cool. I finally got him to stop cussing at me and you know, you jerk, you know, you should just defend me. I said, well, listen, we're playing war here. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about life. So we chit-chat. Um, I had one guy call me out from Nebraska, you know. He's a reverend. And he apologized later. I said, no, 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 take it easy, chief, you know. He, he, I said, I'll come and visit you in Nebraska if you want, but let's talk about something serious. We ended up having Bible studies on Thursdays, and, you know, during the, like a two-hour time. And this is pretty good. You know, and we kind of chilled out. It wasn't so aggressive about how to win. I, 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 I like to lose. But um, as I said, it's better position. It teaches humility. That's right, it does. You know, and the winning thing is, that's a... I, you ever see um, Trump game? Because he had a game he put out in the series. I have a... I found it in a thrift store. It's a box. It says, it's not whether to, to win or lose. It's how to win. All about winning. You know, that's not a good motto because you don't always win. Matter of fact, we always lose. Eventually, we lose our life. And who do we lose it to? To Christ or to death eternal, which is separation from God? I don't care how many looks at it. It's not a good spot. Right. So we should be working towards that for one another. So in essence, for people that want to be able to donate to you guys, they can donate money. Right. Now, they can also donate time, yes, right? Sure. Because if they have, whether it's to volunteer, um, to go out with you guys, or if it's to, in, in this particular project that you referred to, mm -hmm. actually help to build a home for people that could be potential electricians, carpenters, right. even cleaning. I mean, really, somebody could go out and rake leaves and maybe pick someone, up sticks, theoretically. Right, maybe okay. someone else is how to build a business. Maybe give us, donate ideas. Okay, so potentially well, give you some type of uh, uh, sound business advice to give you some type of structural yeah. uh, organization to help the business and then and then i think the other thing too is is um you know obviously we mentioned prayer um but i i do you know i want to be respectful of each of yours time so kind of bringing it all together i want to get some final thoughts um from each of you so i'm going to start with paul first cool. and just keeping in mind here um whether the individuals that list are listening are quote-unquote ruthless, um, maybe they're facing hard times, they're going through some type of a struggle with drug or alcohol addiction, or any addiction for that matter, let's not limit it to that. Um, you know, based on how you live your life, what you've seen, Paul, and where you are today, just talk to the audience. What is it that, you know, you would share, um, you know, from your heart that you feel could be impactful, um, you know, to them. I think the biggest biggest impact that, that probably grabbed me grabbed the biggest attention in my life I did a, a Bible study called A Hole in the Gospel it's by Richard Stearns and he's the uh, he, he runs World Vision it's one of the one of the biggest uh, Christian organizations in, in the you know basically in the country in the world is that the one that sponsored with sponsorship on the race car yeah and he sponsors a race car that I yeah, like blah, well. blah. <laughs> but um that gets me <laughs> go for it I'll be good <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But uh, but there was what was a saying in there that that really grabbed my attention. And it says, "Don't fail to do something just because you can't do everything." And and that kind of grabbed my attention because a lot of times people always ask me, "Well, what can I do?" And they get so overwhelmed by thinking they have to do so many things. But if you just did something, that would be more than enough. Um, maybe it's picking up the phone and calling, or just sending in five dollars, or um, you know, volunteering for an hour. Um, you know, the, the people have even through the project with uh, Larry's project, people have showed up and volunteered for three hours and never came back. But that for that three hours time they were there, it was an inspiration to them because they were doing something. Mm -hmm. They were part of something for a moment. And sometimes people just need that connection and just say, you know what, I need to be connected just for that moment. And that'll help you. And as far as drug addiction and stuff, if you need help, just reach out to us. You can go to our website, you know, email us, you know, say, hey, I'm struggling with addiction. Can you help me find an avenue? And we'll be happy to try to help somebody that's, uh, that's suffering with addiction. Um, having the background and experience of dealing with addiction, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like when you don't understand it. And I know what it's even more like when you're not humble enough to ask for help. And we're here when you're ready. So f thank you. And, and the website again is www.havenstreets.org. Um, your phone number, is there a specific phone number to call for the business? Either or, they can call either one and send on the card. So okay, we, we gotcha. So 386-315-0168 or 609-513-9327, both of which, folks, we're going to put in the show notes. Um, and then you guys have a Facebook page also. How do we locate you on Facebook? It's uh, Haven Beat the Streets. Uh, incorporated, and we're also on Twitter as well. Okay. At Haven Streets. Haven Streets on Twitter, and Haven Beat, as in B E A T, the streets. Yep. Okay, and they can find you there. Okay, and then, um, you know, we're going to go um, right back over to Bill. And, Bill, if you would just share, just kind of in closing here, you know, a little bit about your heart, keeping in mind, similarly to what I proposed to Paul, relative to our listeners and, and who could really be impacted by what you guys have shared today. Well, I'd just like to make a prayer if I can. Yes, please. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, have mercy on us. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and into ages of ages. Amen. O most holy trinity, have mercy on us, Lord. Cleanse us of our sins. Master, pardon our transgressions. Holy One, visit him and infirmities for thy name's sake. Glory to thee, O God, glory to thee. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Lord most high. God, we come to you and we just ask you to... Encourage us in our hearts to stand up for the truth of the gospel and for doing the gospel and, and living our life in the power of the gospel, not just going to church and carrying out the daily functions of, of whatever tradition we're part of. Help us to follow your tradition. Your tradition is to lay down your life for your fellow human, humanity, for the life of the world, to give yourself to all the universe that it might be reclaimed to you and that death may only reign supreme in, in, in our lives, so that we can stand eternal and immortal with you for eternity. Lord, help us to be loving as you're loving. Master, help us to be like you in every way. We pray this in your matchless name, Jesus. You are the lover of mankind and the giver of all good things, the Father of lights. Amen. Thank you guys very much. Thank you for being here with us today. And thank you for the wonderful work that you're doing. We really appreciate all that you do. Nice to meet you. You too. And, and to the cool. listeners, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, we love you. Without you guys, again, we wouldn't be anything. So thank you again. God bless.